everybody, it's Martin Keenan here and I've got a special edition from the Shea meeting and I'm delighted to say that I've been able to get hold of Dr Diane Baker who's Emeritus Professor at California State University Sacramento but has been a, well, a, I've been following her work for years on healthcare associated pneumonia since I first developed a, an interest in the UK so thank you very much for joining me Diane. It's, Really yeah, nice thank you for you. the invitation. Talk about my passion. Uh, well, I mean, I'm wondering how long it has been your passion and what first made you get interested in it? Because your, your first publication, I think, was the, uh, the journal Nursing Scholarship paper looking at practical implementation mm -hmm. and measures. So, but can we go back before that and what first got you interested in healthcare associated pneumonia that isn't device associated? I've been at this now for about 12 years and it, I was first interested in it because of a patient and a woman who was about 55 years old, pretty healthy, took care of her grandkids, checked into the hospital, and needed to have uh, a minor surgery. And about two days after that surgery, she developed pneumonia. They thought that it was um, an aspiration pneumonia, but it wasn't. It turned out to be non-ventilator hospital-acquired pneumonia. But she went up to the ICU. She was ultimately ventilated. She got sepsis, and she died. Mm. And in reviewing that case, um, a couple of my colleagues and myself looked at it and said, wait a minute, how are patients on the medical surgical floor dying from a hospital-acquired infection? And it wasn't on anybody's radar. Mm. None of the reportable programs, anything. And so I contacted my colleague from the Veterans Administration Health System, a nurse researcher, Dr. Shannon Monroe, and another large um, hospital system. And we said, let's just run the data. It was shell shocking. Yeah. And all those great systems, it was the number one hospital acquired infection, um, highest mortality, the costs were unbelievable, and not on anybody's radar. And the reason why you and I are having this conversation today is because it's still not. It, exactly, it, yeah, 12 years on. <laughs> yeah, it's it, the most deadly, the most costly. Yeah. Um, the biggest initiator of sepsis, which every hospital cares about, and we know that we can do a lot to prevent it. Yeah, and a huge consumer of antibiotics as well, which we're trying right. to reduce enormously. So, yep. I mean, I, we had a similar sort of situation in the UK. Prevalence study after prevalence study has shown us that it's our number one healthcare-associated infection. Yet there's limited national action, and, and the problem is, apart from doing the periodic prevalence studies in the UK, we have no national surveillance. There is no normal surveillance on this, and I'm guessing that it doesn't fit into your natural surveillance systems over here either. That's correct. Hmm. There's no requirement for hospitals to report their incidence of pneumonia that was not related to ventilator-associated pneumonia. Yeah. And you've gone back, though, and looked at historical data, haven't you, and, and mm -hmm. actually measured the scale of the problem, which shows just how enormous it is, and the cost is phenomenal as well, isn't it? Yeah, we looked at one large available national database, a big data set for the Medicare um, healthcare system in the United States, and we found that it costs $2 billion per year, um, by far the largest expenditure for Medicare, which is our publicly funded healthcare system in the United States. Uh, the mortality rate, again, was quite high, and long-term care, necessity for long-term care, so we're, we've just got that information out, and we're planning on walking the halls of Congress with mm. this information, hoping to get some national action on this finally. I mean, you would think in a funding-based system that anything that would save money would 
really mm. get people interested in, isn't it? But they, they're more interested in topics like, I suppose, because they're a bit more technical, like surgical site infection and clabsy and that sort of thing. And maybe this just isn't, isn't sexy enough. I mean, uh, I do wonder it's because the interventions that you so nicely outlined in your Journal of Nursing Scholarship paper those years mm. ago were actually nursing interventions. And therefore, as that become, that means it's somebody else's problem and that the medical staff aren't quite so interested in it. Do you think that's something to do with it? I think that is spot on. Um, the other types of infections are easy to see. They're device-related, surgical mm. side infections. You can look at them, you can culture them easily, and then you can know what antibiotics to prescribe. You can throw some uh, antiseptic on the site. And there's a lot of been a lot of vendor and commercialization into products to help hospitals with that. The solution for hospital-acquired pneumonia is patient interventional services, which reside in nursing care, and it means two things: brush the teeth and yeah. get the patient out of bed. Yeah, which you normally you and I would call good nursing care, mm -hmm. <laughs> and yet they they don't happen, do they? Particularly no. Well. Nurses are, well, especially in the time of COVID, but even if you think about the time before that, there are so many requirements to what they must accomplish during each of their shifts at the hospital. And when they're prioritizing, they are going to prioritize what the hospital measures. Yeah. And since no one's measuring pneumonia, no one's measuring oral care, no one's measuring mobility. Yeah. It naturally, I mean, anybody would put that at the bottom of their list, and at yeah. the end of your shift, out you go. Um, very few people, even to this day in medicine and nursing, realize that pneumonia comes from germs in the mouth, and it's the overgrowth of pathogens, which occurs in the hospital, that slip into the lungs that cause pneumonia. Yeah. And I bet you could ask probably half the physicians here at Shea, and they would not be able to tell you where the pneumonia actually originates, that it's from the mouth. <laughs> Staggering, isn't it, really? Mm -hmm. but it, I, you know, it's just a nursing job, so they should get on with it. And to be honest, if you were asking someone if they were going to be a patient themselves, a healthcare worker, they would want their mouth cleaned regularly, wouldn't they? And they would be, want to be on their feet as often as possible mm -hmm. to get themselves going. And yet, when we're caring for a patient, we don't always think these are actually quite critical priorities because of the you know the sequelae that comes from poor mouth care and failing to move people mm -hmm. i mean I, I did actually and, and with my colleagues at the university of west london we did actually look at could we create some sort of assessment tool that shows the people at most risk therefore you do the intervention but seeing as the intervention is good mouth care and walking people around <laughs> who would you not want to do that for and that that's the issue isn't it i mean uh, there are complications, though, aren't there? Because people don't always have the, the correct equipment. I mean, you mentioned it in your journal of nursing, mm -hmm. uh, quality, uh, journal of nursing scholarship paper. You know, that people are worried about poor quality mouth brushes mm -hmm. and they're worried about aspiration. So there are some technical aspects or there are some barriers we need to overcome if we're going to get good quality mouth care, mouth care aren't there? Yeah. Well, for all quality improvement projects, when you're really trying to enhance care and get the the ultimate protection of patient safety in place, you have to look at what you need to do. You have to get the right safe equipment in an easy to use way and you have to educate people. So most hospitals, if they provide toothbrushes, we just did a survey and found out 20% don't provide any oral care products at all. Yeah. So the nurse is already rendered helpless in this. Um, provide those quality, those toothbrushes that we mentioned, the bristles fall out, the nurses don't want to use them, no one wants their patient complaining and saying, come pick this bristle out of my mouth. <laughs> but 
you know, it's, it's the technology is there. Um, Well-studied toothbrushes that do remove plaque effectively that are soft enough for patients with cancer absolutely exist. Yeah. They're a buck 50 per yeah. patient. Yeah. You know, we're charging $10 for a baby aspirin if we can't spring for a decent toothbrush, you know. So those things sound so simple. Maybe it's almost in their simplicity that people think, oh, that can't work. I don't know what the mindset is there. No. (laughs) No, well, I don't don't really get the mindset there either. But, I mean, the potential for savings is vast, even if you reduce it by 10%, Mm -hmm. as we were chatting beforehand. That's a vast saving, Mm -hmm. apart from the morbidity and the mortality and the antibiotic use. Yeah, the cost savings is, it's, 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 almost, it's so dramatic that it, and so logical that it's hard to sit here and say, why aren't we doing this? Yeah. Yeah, and just a little reduction. You're talking about billions of dollars in health care. Yeah. And with companies, um, I should tell you that there is one private insurance company in the U.S. that jumped on this. And they sent toothbrushes and information about pneumonia prevention wow. to all of their pre-approved surgical patients. They reduced the incidence of their payment for MV half by 30%. Wow. Tens of thousands of dollars. Has that been written up? Uh, it, there's a white paper on it, and they presented it to the President's Council on Hospital-Acquired Infections. So we have professional organizations that could take action on this. We have actually legislative that could take action through Medicaid and Medicare. And we have the private insurance industry. One of them has figured it out so wow. far. Okay. Well, maybe that's a, like a snowball going down a hill. We start mm-hmm. to get some momentum and people will start to understand it. But you know, until we start measuring it, you start putting numbers in front of people at local level and showing what the impact of what actually um, Heather Loveday professor I work with, she calls it lapses in care mm. or missed care. Mm-hmm. So it's not intentionally we're not going to do this. This is just something, as you say, people are focusing on the metrics that are measured. And because this isn't measured, then it gets dropped off the list. And uh, you know, we've got to find some way of selling people the message that actually these things impact. Because I'm, you know, I'm sure many nurses in the UK wouldn't know that cleaning the mouth prevents healthcare associated pneumonia. There's just no connection there. So... Yeah, and you certainly don't find it in the basic textbooks. In September of 2021, the Joint Commission put out a patient safety alert on NBHAP, alerting hospitals um, to the danger and also listing um, several things that hospitals can do to prevent pneumonia. Oral care was on there, mobility one and two. Um, So I think that the signs are clear to hospital administrators and to professional organizations that Um, we've hit the flywheel and there is going to be movement forward on this subject and you know the question is do you want to be a leader and keep your patients safe and be the ones that shave presenting the poster with the solutions or do you wait till you get told to do the right thing yeah and that's not great is it because interesting you you published a paper recently where you surveyed um, membership I think it was was it Mm -hmm. Shea Mm -hmm. looking at what they've managed to do and there's still obviously opportunities to progress things, aren't there? Yeah, there's a lot of opportunities here. And I get, um, I'm going to say maybe 20 to 30 emails a month from people that do want to do the right thing. Mm. They're trying to press their hospital systems to move and keep their patients safe from NVHAP. A lot of inspiration from that, a lot of creativity. Um, so we need to tap that energy and people that are listening and kind of get it intuitively because I will tell you there's not a nurse working in an acute care hospital 
that hasn't taken care of a patient who has died from pneumonia that they got in their hospital. That's also a very good point. Personal experience. Yeah. And then when they hear it, yeah. oh, that was because of the mobility and the brushing teeth and these fundamental care. Yeah. And they do get on it. I sometimes have people say, I never leave until all my patients have their mouth care. Yeah. And 80% of patients can brush their own teeth. It's yeah. not like the nurse has to be involved with a lot more time, but they have to be educated. They got to get the right toothbrush. And even sitting up at the edge of the bed, you can engage family members. Um, all kinds of creative solutions are yeah. out there. I mean, I mean, actually, do you think patients understand it? Because often you might say to a patient who's very tired mm -hmm. and exhausted, do you want to have your mouth cleaned? And they'll go, no, no, it's fine, thank you. And actually, if they understood, this is really quite important for you. Do you think mm -hmm. if, that, you know, if patients themselves were to say, would you mind if I clean my teeth, that might prompt an action as well? Because I, I suspect if nurses and doctors don't get that mouth care is a risk factor for HAP, then certainly patients and family members won't. So maybe there's another way of going about this as well to try and highlight so that people ask for this preventative yeah. measure. That would be great. Let's arm every single patient with a toothbrush and yeah. they walk in the hospital and they say, you will brush my teeth while yeah. I'm here, great. Yeah. <laughs> um, because we've had interventions, yeah. we've had initiatives where you know, we ask the patients to say to the staff, will you clean your hands? But mm -hmm. actually, will you clean my mouth is probably a very good thing for somebody to ask as well, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, if you think about it, those are sort of a dual and highly related situation. Um, yeah. Because you're cleaning surfaces that really collect germs. Yeah. And the mouth is notorious for that. You know, you have 32 uh, biofilm attracting services right there. Yeah. Yeah. So keep, keep your hands clean and keep my mouth clean. Can we make a deal here and okay. keep me safe while I'm staying in your hospital? <laughs> well, that's a very good point and a nice point to finish on. So thank you very much for this chat. I look forward to reading all the rest of the publications you've got coming. And who knows? I mean, I'm approaching the age where it's going to be a risk factor for me so uh, you know I'm going to be asking people should I go into hospital will you please clean my mouth and please get me out of bed as soon as possible and maybe we can you know, engage with patients a little bit more to get them to have a bit of understanding because apart from in hospitals mm -hmm. I'm sure this is also an issue in aged care facilities. Oh absolutely everybody I know that goes in the hospital gets a toothpaste kit I have a stack of them and I bring them over. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Okay, well, thanks very much for your time, Diane. I've really yeah. enjoyed chatting to you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, thank you.